So, Tandy, Tiana, how did the two of you meet? Yeah, well, actually, remember how I went to Sicily, Tim? Mm -hmm. And that was like something I had signed up that was supposed to happen in 2020. And then, of course, with the pandemic, it got pushed all the way to 2020. And was supposed to be in a different part of Italy. And then when they came in, they're like, oh, we're going to do that 2022. And I was like, what was this I signed up for and paid? I didn't even know. And then it was like, oh, does this even, it was about, you know, going through these feminine archetypes. And I was like, is this even what I want to focus on? And at first I was like, oh, no, I just want a refund. And then, um, and then I meditated on it. It's like, no, you're supposed to do this, you know? And so part of that Sicily trip or the main reason actually why I went was for this like Avalon Rose practitioner pilgrimage. And when I was on it, I met someone named Emma. And then Emma is friends with Tandy. And so when Emma found out that she's like, oh, you're in Austin. Oh my gosh, you have to meet my friend Tandy. And so this is how we met. So I love how the universe kind of like weaves things in and guides us and directs us and so forth. Wow. It's totally divine convergence. Emma is one of my besties, but she lives in the UK. I think we've seen each other once in person. And she did. I was like, you know, it's like one of those like, there are certain people that if they tell me I have to go meet somebody, then I'm going without question. You know, and she was like, you have to meet Tiana. And I was like, okay. This is season six, episode 10 of Beyond the Illusion. Dark Feminine with Tandy Gutierrez. And today, when we're recording this, of course, this is going to come out a couple of weeks from now, but the sun just moved into Sagittarius and some of the other planets moved out of Scorpio. And it seems like a good time to review that. Plus, you know, we're moving kind of into winter, which also feels very much kind of like dark feminine as well, as far as letting go and things dying off and so forth. So it just seems like a really great time to kind of dig into this. And so... I was curious what your description would be of dark feminine energy. Yeah, I think this is the perfect time. And I would offer an additional to that, that, you know, in this season of the underworld season that I really prescribe that it's fall and winter, that we're in this dark goddess energy really thickly. It's why I teach and hold space for what I teach and hold space for in this time of year, because the energies are just there naturally. But the dark goddesses are really, the definition is that it's any, by mythology, any goddess or god that is connected to the dark, the underworld, to the moon, or to the night. And so, for me, when we talk about dark goddess, dark feminine energy, this is most keenly demonstrated by Lilith and Hecate, and they pull us into our full authenticity, and they really prescribe to destruction and creativity the dark sides of ourselves that have been demonized in our culture and the reclamation of those dark aspects of being too much, too big, too bossy, too loud, too much. And it's not only specific to those who identify as female because we're all a spectrum, right? And so for those who may identify more as the divine masculine, this also demonizes the feminine qualities in them of emotions and feelings and conversation and communication. And so 
the dark feminine is so empowering and culture seems to see it as like angry, fierce and loud and hard. But to me, and as they channel through me and as I hold space for in mentoring, they're very motherly, meaning they are really concerned with generating good humans. And this speaks to equity, using your voice, taking up space, you know, being willing to step into your villain era, right? We're going to be the villain in someone's story. And so this dark feminine energy says, it's okay to be the villain. It's okay to be demonized. And here's the nuance as to where that comes from, where this dialogue is, and how can we dismantle the internal patriarchy, right, to allow the dark side of this feminine energy out for empowerment, for growth, and for healing. Wow, that's so beautifully stated. Before we kind of dive into maybe some of those archetypes, I'm curious about your journey as far as maybe when you were introduced to this concept, but then that might be a different point in your life from when you first started connecting to these energies, you know, because of our life story, a lot of times through trauma and things like this, we are, are connecting to the dark feminine, but it might be some time later before we recognize what that is and the gifts of that. And so, yeah, I'd love to hear your story. Yeah, as far as an introduction to the dark goddesses, it's been interwoven in my life. You know how when you do the retrospective and you look back and you're like, oh, there was a moment here and there and there. And just like you're saying, I grew up in a very Christian household. But strangely, the narrative of Lilith was introduced at that point, at the very least. Like I was aware that she existed in the narrative somewhere, right? And further down the path, I chose to go to an all-women's college. And so when you enter into, um, I went to Stevens College, it's in Columbia, Missouri, it's teeny tiny, it's one of the last remaining, you know, women's colleges, you have to take Feminism 101. And so you really can't embark on feminism without the narrative of Lilith in particular. And so this dark goddess energy, understanding feminism understanding intersectional feminism, understanding the patriarchy, the dismantling of it, and trying to make a constructive difference in the world as someone who identifies as female. Man, that narrative just gets louder and louder the older you get when you use your voice specifically. So my personal like starting to weave into it was that I was constantly called cold or told I was a bitch, that I was too much, I was too driven, I was too talkative, right? Like, in order, in other words, be quiet, sit down, you're annoying, you're causing trouble. I took that on personally, as we do as people pleasers in this culture. And thought, I must be wrong, I must be broken. And then remembered the narratives of the constructive aspects of feminism, right? I mean, they're all constructive. Intersectional feminism is much more constructive. But then you make your way back to Lilith. And so in the mythology and as my spiritual path was unraveling, I just felt like she was so loud everywhere. And then Hecate started to be loud. And at a certain point in my 30s, I knew enough that when things appeared in three places or were mentioned three times that I needed to dive deeper into it. And then it just became in the last three years that they were, Lilith and Hecate were very loud and 
pushy in a constructive manner that I was to channel them and bring them through in the work that I was doing and saw how helpful and empowering it was and is to my clients to hear and understand these narratives and this mythology and also to humanize them as much as the goddesses they are and they don't want to be human. There's such a human narrative that gives us permission to pull all the fragments of ourselves that have been demonized and cast out back in and go, actually, I'm not too loud. I'm just causing trouble for you. That's a boundary. You don't like that boundary. So here we go. Yeah, I was just going to say, I I actually, I like that explanation and so many things that you just said, because, you know, I have a daughter and, and she seems to really embrace her dark side because we allowed her to and we, you know, we, we let her be herself. I think, like you were saying, you know, as people early on in our lives, we take these, we have all the characteristics that we need and we come into the world with them. And then as time goes on and we integrate with society and culture and everything, we, like you said, we begin to become people pleasers and we want everyone to like us. And so we follow the rules and do the things that everyone expects of us, or at least we think they expect of us. And then we lose some of those aspects of ourselves that we came in to use, you know, we, that we need, you know, I see it with the young people a lot. And it's funny, you know, my kids, just now turned 15 and you know the more that she becomes involved with her friends and school and and culture she's losing that that little edge that she always had you know I'm like don't lose that you know keep you know be who you are because she has a tendency to kind of ruffle feathers like she's not afraid to she's like a justice warrior and so is her mom and they you know they'll they'll say what needs to be said you know if it's something's right or something's wrong they'll just say it and a lot of people don't like that. They really don't like to be confronted with this, you know, especially from a woman. Like, oh, you're you're going to tell me what's right and wrong? You know, it's like, you know, questioning this, like, inner authority kind of. And, yeah, I think that it's, my, I guess my point is just like, you know, we, we all have to take that trip, I think, and then come back around and, and find ourselves again and, and really embrace that part of us that we came in with. It's such this beautiful, strong part. And I love that you mentioned your daughter in it. I have two sons, so they're 15 and 11. And I even noticed that with them, you know, where they've been so fierce in certain spaces that then when they get in some public spaces, they start to navigate as people pleasers a little bit, which I think is interesting because culturally we are shifting. We have shifted. We're in the middle of a real uncomfortable shift, you know, where we're all trying to wiggle in and out, but we're such a polarized culture right now of right and wrong. And what I see in the healing work that I do in the space that I hold for my mentees is personal, you know, evolution work is that we're really disconnected from our anger. We've all typically only experienced it as violent, right? And scary and, and, you know, in quotations, bad, And we need to understand that anger is part of the spectrum of human emotion. It's part of the spectrum of of human healing. And we have to understand how to wield it, express it, and hold it, and move through it. And women, because it's how I identify, and it's the majority of my community and my clients that I've worked with in the last 20 years, you know, the patriarchy is like, don't be angry because then you're crazy. 
right? And so then we're gaslit and then we start to doubt how we feel, what we think, what we know to be our internal compass of truth and equity. So it's these narratives are so powerful. The dark goddesses are so important. It's been a big push to me in my path in the last three years to communicate them in a way that feels both practical and magical. You know, it's like whether you prescribe to them as goddesses and deities that you can really connect and talk to and work with, or just the mythology. To me, it's all the same thing. They have such beauty to offer us because they are the rage. They are rage. They are dangerous. They are labeled as dangerous, which then becomes nasty women, right? And and they have these other pieces to them that are much softer. It's just we don't hear that side of it. So this spectrum of like, as a human, as a parent, as a as a child, how do we hold this spectrum? We haven't really even been in witness of it. So we can look to mythology and stories to go, okay, this might be helpful on our growth path. Yeah. And you mentioned people pleasing as an example of maybe a suppressed dark feminine. What are other ways that we would be able to see that expressed if we have repressed uh, or suppressed dark feminine? I think people pleasing is the major one. Wanting everyone to be comfortable, right? I'm not going to say anything because that's going to be uncomfortable. I'm not going to say something because I'm uncomfortable. We also don't speak out. So the lack of using your voice right? I, to me, that can also be in the category of people pleasing, just not saying something like that's not okay. My favorite phrases for the dark goddesses, particularly Lilith because of her story is that doesn't work for me or that no longer works for me. And pointing out in places where this really works for me, I would love to see more of that in XYZ scenario, right? So voice not using your voice, not expressing your true emotion or your true thoughts about it. Feelings are are not always facts, but they're good data points. And so if you can share them in ways, this is how I feel. But when we lock down and don't share how we feel, that is definitely part of where the dark goddesses could be really helpful in your empowerment. And equity is the biggest one. Again, the community that I work with is mostly women. And so I see the commonality in it of feeling unworthy, that wound of unworthiness. I don't deserve this. And I will reflect this as a mother and as someone who has spent time, um, you know, being a stay-at-home mom as well as having a career and then blending them, that for those who stay at home, there is still this community cultural narrative of I'm not worth, you know, spending money on or having a say in how we navigate the finances of the house because I don't earn an income. So that still goes into the wound of worthiness and deservedness, but it all circles back to using our voice. That isn't fair. I don't feel seen. That doesn't work for me for whatever reason. That's so helpful. Very practical ways to apply it. Because sometimes maybe people will be like, how do I take this mythology, <laughs> these goddesses, and apply it to my everyday life? So I appreciate that. And in fact, yeah, I'm still really working th like in my life. And this is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on and to talk about this. Certainly like, yeah, in my family, everything was like always just about people were not expressing how they really feel. It's about the harmony. And this is maybe one of the 
shadow aspects of um, some of the Asian cultures, like the Japanese is where my half of my family is coming from. It's about making harmony and wanting to be nice and then and recognizing that and working through that a lot. But still, what really triggered for me and then the whole thing about anger, yeah, that was when I first started doing shadow work. Years ago, when I first started on my spiritual journey, that was like the big piece of my shadow was reclaiming anger. But what got me really just not that long ago, embracing uh, the dark feminine was when this kind of Scorpio eclipse season happened starting last year. And then like the first uh, one that happened in like November of last year, during that eclipse window, I had like two powerful nightmares where I was basically like, helpless and frozen, there was this evil that would show up. And every time I would be frozen and no voice, like you're saying, can't, I've been wanting to cry, like ask for help, but like having no voice and, you know, reflecting on what you're saying now and kind of in response to my question that I asked you before, another way I was thinking about when we don't own or embrace the dark feminine. So like the evil was my, you know, the evil I put in air quotes that people can't see, but the evil was my own dark feminine, right? And then the me that I was experiencing, the powerless, helpless, is there's like a, there's a victim archetype that can happen, right? And so then we project this darkness onto others and then we go into the disempowered feminine. So really kind of working through those energies this year of like, oh, in order to step back into my power, I have to own that I'm the one that was the evil, scary one. <laughs> in that dream that's not something else someone else doing that so so I started to like look at that at the beginning of this year and I started to like do these meditations and so forth that I was listening to on insight timer I found some wonderful ones and it was like one time it was Medusa and one time it was Lilith and one time it was Kali and I can't remember which one it was but one of them was like before we merged or connected with the dark goddess we were inwardly asked are you ready for this? Are you willing to take, you know, whatever comes with it? And I remember like this a little bit of feeling of fear and then saying yes. And then I look back now as we're getting towards the end of the year, how much that's really shown up for me in my life this year. Cause I've had these like big, which to me is like these kinds of things happen when we're doing shadow work where things can show up really like exaggerated. Whatever we've been suppressing inside makes this big, powerful energy magnet and it attracts it outside to be noticed and seen. And so there's like several times in my life where, you know, I just expressed being hurt or upset or something with someone. And then they made me out to be this like really evil person and like, oh, you're scary to be around. And if, and then I first I took it all in and I was like, oh my gosh. And then I like later on after talking to my friends and reflecting, I was like, gosh, I didn't really do anything that bad. I just expressed how I felt and allowed my emotions to flow through. But it happened more than one time before I really like got it. Like, oh, okay. It's okay. It doesn't make me bad or wrong. It doesn't mean that I should stop feeling my feelings or, or I'm too much or all of these things, but it is like a dark, painful journey <laughs> to go through. Um, yeah. And I know like we're still going through these, the nodes with Scorpio South node, I think until early next year. So anyway, this is why I've been wanting to work through this. And I appreciate having you here as I'm working through it as we're talking right now. 
I just, I love all of it. I'm just, my head's over here like nodding. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Because when you do enter into the dark goddesses, you do have to stop and ask yourself, because I hold a container for magical mentees and group mentoring, and we are working specifically with Lilith and Hecate. And my mentees are such a spectrum of on their journey. Like some of them don't even know who Lilith and Hecate are. And I love and value that so much, but you do have to ask, like, are you willing to take them at their full spectrum? Because the dark goddesses, again, why I love to express them and they've asked to be shown through me as great mothers. It's like, they're tough love mothers. Like, I didn't ask if I could curse before we started, but like, they don't do BS. Like, they're not having that at all. Like, they're going to snatch you up by your ear and be like, are you going to be grown? Can you handle this? Like, are you going to go take care of your business? You know, so you really do have to be willing, again, to pull in the full fragments of yourself. And anger and rage is feels dangerous to us. And we haven't seen it gracefully navigated. And most often, because people have never seen or witnessed that in our culture, then when we express it, they cannot hold it. They cannot diffuse it. It just feels scary. And so when you start to work with the dark feminine energy, dark goddesses for sure, you have to be ready for the fall off of some friendships or relationships and partnerships because they will see you as scared. Like you become that demon to them. Even if you take the time and want to take the emotional labor on and be like, look, I know that was not the most constructive way to express it potentially, but I do have real feelings here that may not be fact. But if we can take a step back, I'm sure I would hold that for you. Or maybe you have held it for them in the past. What I see with the dark goddesses and reflection and the work that I've personally done with my clients is that once we start to express any shade of that, people are real quick to cut us off. And then you have to be like, but wait, I held some of that for you and didn't even question it. You know, so how, again, like, how do we weave like, how do we traverse this without it just being a, like, things shut down? Yeah, I seem to, like, have manifested some people that were mirroring back. So, like, people who were repressing their own. And so then they, they were demonizing me and it was mirroring back that aspect of myself. And so, so at first I, it was interesting because I felt, first I felt very victimized by them. Like, oh, how are they saying I'm evil? They're projecting all the stuff on me. And then I saw my reflection in them. And then I had to own both sides and kind of, you know, so it was really interesting to kind of go through that journey. Um, yeah. Which is like really painful, but fruitful as far as growth, which is, <laughs> <laughs> it almost, uh, yeah, I was curious. Do you feel like embracing the dark feminine is generally like initiation, generally initiatory energies? Because it seems like it sort of creates some major like alchemy or transformation if one is willing to really embrace it. Yes, just straight up, yes. And like any initiation, it's sneaky and you say yes to it. And even if you have concepts of how that might express itself, like, hey, anger and rage, great, signing up, shaking hands with Lilith and Hecate, you still have no idea how that's going to express itself. And so then you, I think you said it earlier, you know, that hesitation, and that fear of saying yes, you're like, I know it's going to be messy. Am I going to be okay in the mess? You know? So absolutely. Yeah. You know, this conversation, I, 
it's funny because you know dark feminine and and divine feminine even i kind of like was thinking well as a male you know what do i have to offer to this conversation but it's really everything you know it's all, it's not really about just women it's it's men too it's you know because you know think about just thinking about my own mother you know and the relationship that i have with her and what kind of person she is and everything that she taught me you know that just by being herself not trying to teach me anything but just being her and me being exposed to that i picked up so much and because she's the kind of person who's well let me just say she's she's gonna hear this for sure she she's like our biggest fan but she so, so i'm not gonna say anything hey, yeah exactly we love you mom this is no shade here <laughs> exactly but you know she's very outspoken and she's very opinionated and everyone that knows her knows that about her right and that is such a powerful thing you know to be unashamed of who you are and what you think and what you believe and how you feel and she always taught me that and that is something that doesn't come naturally to me you know I kind of envy her for that in a way because she'll go into a situation and and I'm almost afraid like because of what she's gonna say or do and in the end you know it always is works out better for her to be that way because she isn't scared of what someone's going to think of her and she doesn't care and she'll tell you like I don't care if you don't like me you know because she's going to be who who she is regardless of what you think and sometimes that makes me a little nervous and scared and I, that's just me though that's that's the part of me that hasn't really accepted that aspect of myself that needs to really be worked on and shown to the world you know like I can be me and it's okay and what it makes me think of is like see how much how much women can teach men how much they can show us to express our feelings to express those parts of ourselves that we really do repress and because you know of, of so many expectations that our society has for men in general and women can really teach us a lot about how to get in touch with that part of ourselves and you know, it reminded me of you saying you have two sons and I'm sure you've taught them so much, just like my mom taught me, you know, just by being herself, you know, her, her strong feminine self. And those kind of men go into the world and they really do change it because we come from a different place than men who didn't have that guidance from a woman. I super appreciate hearing that because it's, there's so many things, this topic and like, it's so big and is ultimately the most important thing to me in this lifetime because it isn't just about women right i speak from my lens and the lens that i teach in the community that tends to gravitate towards me but this is a human issue it's really the issue of the day and you can boil it down to and i'm sure people are sick of this you know but it's the truth of the patriarchy and internalized patriarchy toxic masculinity does you know more damage to men than it really in some ways has to women. So because we have had movements focused on feminism and it's had its major problems and setbacks and confusion and, 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 and issues yet we have moved some things forward, but it does get perceived and our culture is pushing men off into the outside. And there's a couple of books. I, I don't know if I can mention titles. I have no connection to them. Just, you know, Liz Planks for the love of men. 
I mean, if you haven't read it, if you if if the Dark Goddess conversation at all resonates, this is such a practical, beautiful, it's data-based, it's it's you know, plain speak, but it shows the practicality of exactly what you're saying of you know, men have a lot to learn. Women, whereas humans, we have so much to learn to hold space for each other for the full spectrum of our authenticity. Like it does just boil down to that, right? So we look at this struggle with trans rights and how backwards we feel like it's going. That's actually in some ways said really lovingly and and I understand the, the breadth of it, but like is constructive because it's so visible as a topic to everyone. Now we're having this outside conversation about it, right? Beautiful piece of, you know, a trans and non binary community is that they don't prescribe to anyone's, you know, vision or box of them. This is how I feel today. I'm flowing with it. This is how I may feel tomorrow. And you don't get to define me. I define myself. This is how I'm going to dress. And what does it really matter? And this is how I identify. None of your business, actually. Right. And so raising boys in particular has been really interesting (laughs) because I did go to an all-women's college. I deeply identify as a feminist, and that's been a dirty word. And I also noticed that very little lithium over here, like, I don't take, you know, any flack off of anybody, including my children, because I don't want them to grow up to be men, to think that they do have these certain roles to prescribe to or privilege just because they think they want this to be the way it is, right? Like, so... I have a lot of empathy for my children lately, particularly as they move into their teen and preteen years of like, it's not going to be so easy to have me as a mama. And I just have to have an eye on that long vision of someday I hope they're really grateful for it. But I think it can also be a little rough. Like you said, you're like, I don't know what's going to come out of her mouth. Like, (laughs) yeah, there's there's nothing wrong with that, though. I mean, a little um, discomfort. Really, for everybody, that's that's where it's at. That's why we came to Earth is to be uncomfortable and to learn and to and to grow. I think also just most of us, the human experience is that when we're younger, we're embarrassed by our parents and we don't, you know, fully appreciate them. And it's as we are getting older, you know, hopefully we're starting to understand through our own life experiences and appreciate things about them. I know that not all of our listeners are familiar with the mythology of Lilith. And I also know maybe the way that Lilith is sometimes depicted is probably different from maybe some of the ways that you work with her and Hecate. So I would love if you um, don't mind kind of maybe going into each of them and sharing more about their story. Absolutely. So Lilith, and I'll just try to keep them to as nutshell as possible. You know, she is most often described as the first wife of Adam. When they speak of her story, it's really like the original Eve, which I take, like, I have trouble with that because she's not named as herself in her own name there. You know, it kind of removes her from the story again. But Lilith is considered to be the original woman, the first wife of Adam. And the nutshell story is, is that it predates the Bible. We're talking Sumerian culture. We're talking Mesopotamia and, you know, shows up in Jewish mysticism in the Kabbalah. But the nutshell story is, is that Adam wanted her to lie underneath him. And she was like, 
that's uncomfortable. That doesn't really work for me. Like, could we try another position? Like, we're talking about sex here, y'all. And so <laughs> she really is like uh, just waving her hand going, I, that doesn't work for me. I That's uncomfortable. That's not pleasurable. And could we just do something else that has me being seen and considered? And God and Adam were like, nope, no, no. So this narrative of submissive people-pleasing starts from the very beginning. And the narrative that we tend to hear is that she was cast out of heaven, you know, like, and that because she would not submit and be lesser than. Well, I still think that's a decent narrative. But the twist on the narrative is, is like, she was like, nah, that does not work for me. Peace out. Like, for my integrity, for equity, for visibility, if you're not going to hear me or see me or consider me, why would I stay? So her story is completely demonized. Like, she she leaves. She hides in the caves at the, you know, the Red Sea. She is called the mother of demons. And she is considered to be the mother of vampires and, like, this hag of an evil person that kills babies and kills women. If you go back into the narrative, one of the things that we didn't touch on, because we can't cover everything today in a completely linear process, is that, you know, she is blood and sex magic. So when we talk about ways that the dark feminine could show up in issues is the ownership and the comfortability of our sensuality and our sexuality, because this is part of her narrative from the very beginning. So they, ha they have to demonize her because actually she's very empowered. And if an empowered female voices, this doesn't work for me. Ooh, what else could go wrong, right? Or what else is not going to go our way? And it even goes so far as to consider Lilith the serpent that comes back to the Garden of Eden, not to have it all go south, which is the story that one side wants to tell of like, she's trying to ruin it for everybody again. She's trying to communicate with Eve. Not really fair in there. Like, you can make choices. I could help you, right? Like, she's offering the apple, which we know is, I think, I hope we all know, you know, it's it's about opening Pandora's box, education. What if? What else is out there? What don't I know? So Lilith, again, is, like, demonized as this, like, angry, dangerous, like, venomous demon. But she is willing to leave out of personal integrity, this doesn't work for me. It's never going to be comfortable. You will never see me as equal. And I cannot stay if I'm not considered as an equal. And she's willing to be demonized. And part of her being cast out is that they kill a hundred of her children a day because she's the mother of demons. She produces demons. So here she is. It's like, did she really win because she left out of integrity? She's in pain. She's willing to be in grief and pain to stand in her integrity. I mean, that's some fierceness right there. Right? And so she just has so much to offer. And again, you can get into the particulars of the narrative of like being known as a child killer, or baby killer. It's like, well, actually, we can look at this as, you know, autonomy of your body and choice and birth control. <laughs> like, There's a whole nother aspect of her equity that moves through the vessel, the body, creative life force in her. And so that is 
Lilith. And Tim, earlier you said something that I thought was so beautiful. I think it was in reference to your mom, but it's so Lilithian of she is shameless. And we hear shameless and we it kind of feels like an insult because it's been utilized as that. But this is to be without shame, to stand in. Here's what I think. Here's what I feel. This is what I need. And how, like, how are we going to work with that here? Like, I'm not, I'm not weird about it. You're the one being weird about it. Now let's work it out. Right. So she offers us this shamelessness of our integrity. And then you have Hecate. They're very different. I work with both of them and they're similar because they're both dark goddesses, but Hecate really, and it gets pronounced in a lot of different ways. So there's no one could be Hecate, Hecate. It's, there's room there for interpretation. But she's known as the triple goddess. And she really comes from Greek mythology. And she is the maiden mother in Crone. She is considered to be the mother of all witches and the, you know, the goddess of witchcraft. She is the guardian of the dead. She is the guardian of house and home. But she's so cool because she's the guardian of the crossroads. So when you have a decision to make, and this is where her really heavy mother energy comes in. She's known as the torchbearer. She will lend you a light. She will give you the keys and she will show you the path, but she's not going to do it for you. And she's not going to tell you what to do either. She really wants good humans to come to fruition. You're going to have to make a choice. You're going to have to be brave. You're going to have to take a risk. You're going to have to stick your neck out. You're going to have to say, I want this, right? And she'll stand there all day long. She She's rooting for us, but she's definitely not going to tell us what to do. She's definitely the goddess of like, get up, like dry your tears. Now you're going to have to go handle it. Like, she'll leave you space for grief and mourning because this is also part of her domain. But she offers, you know, this the, the full face of, of femininity. And again, it's not just about, you know, being female or identifying that way. But she allows us to be more than one thing. And in a westernized culture, particularly the U.S., women are really only allowed to be one thing, young and pretty. And past that point, we are uninteresting and not useful, typically. I believe that's changing. And yet she says, you're all three and you're all three at all times in your life. So again, she offers the spectrum of being a human. We are the Madonna and the horror. <laughs> we are the villain and the hero. We're all of these things to ourselves and to other people. And we can't pick whether we're going to be the villain or the hero to somebody. We just have to be authentic in how we show up. And be able to navigate and communicate and make choices. So she's, you know, Hecate is so much about choices. She's a lot because she's one of the oldest goddesses. And there's a lot of, there's so many aspects of them. But, you know, where they're the same is that they're both considered through typical mythology, dangerous. You know, don't mess with them. They're evil. They're going to destroy things. But at their essence they're equal destruction and creation and the reality is is they're both willing to burn it all down to make it better right they're willing to walk away and so this is where i feel like where we can all benefit is that we have to be willing to walk away some things can't be saved or fixed and that's okay it's really okay that's not a fail point it's just where the story ended up 
It's just the paths. Some of them are dead ends and we're going to have to turn around and go back. Who typically are the types of clients that you, you know, what are the kind of issues that they're going through? And then what is it like? How do you work with them? Can you kind of walk us through what your, you know, session is like or something like that? Yeah. Um, It's interesting. It's my typical client is someone who's either experiencing, you know, imposter syndrome like they're being offered places in their lives to step into bigger things, but they don't feel worthy of it. There's fear, there's trepidation. It's just like, oh, I don't know if I can hold all of that if I move towards that. It is a lot of people pleasers and a lot of, of those with wounds of worthiness that their soul knows that they're divine and worthy. But in this 3D incarnation, those feelings, the traumas, the wounds, the experiences, they're just there. And so like attracts like, right? Like my personal story attracts who I'm most likely to be able to help, right? And so there's wounds of abandonment in there. And It's just people who generally feel like they're at a crossroads, like they are tired of dying on the same damn hill, like they can see which hill they're dying on, like they got it, we got it, check the box, I see it, I'm aware, but I cannot seem to move past it. How do I empower myself? How do I get comfortable and release? How do I move in to that? So when they embark on magical mentoring, and I have two programs, but I will only speak to group magical mentoring. So it's a container it's anywhere between you know 13 to 20 in that group it's a four month process and we ask one question in each cycle so you can say it's four months it overlaps with the lunar cycles but the questions that we work with is you know how to cultivate a relationship with Lilith or a deeper relationship and it sounds really like oh that sounds simple right that sounds easy And I facilitate a tarot reading. It's a five-card tarot reading that channels a to-do list for this group to activate and allow their experience, their connection, their relationship with Lilith to either begin or to deepen. So this is where it becomes a little bit of magic. Like, how does that really work? But it just does, you know, because things mean different things to different people, but they're still functional to-dos. And so very often when we're working with Lilith or Hecate, it'll activate them creating an altar, sitting in meditation. If they feel comfortable and they agree to calling them in and seeing how their days go and what lessons come up and what reflections come up. And so they get their reading and they activate their to-do list. They have journaling prompts to help them synthesize the experience that they're having in that cycle. And then we all meet for a Zoom call at the end of the month together that I hold space for. And that's an energetic healing and guided meditation and invocation. And then it's very different. We do a check-in on their to-do list, nice and basic. And then I usually have some writing exercises for them, some readings to offer them. And then just listen as to how it's coming through for everybody. And one of my lanes is clear audience. And so I'm listening for the overlapping energetics and the overlapping topics for them to help, you know, really weave it in as to how it's expressing itself, how it can deepen itself, how it's helping them. And it's just always astonishing what comes through and what starts happening and the things that start shifting and moving in their lives and the kind of opportunities and the leveling up and the hills they move on from 
It's very strange, practical and subtle work, but it is always very big work by the end of it. And so in this cycle, we're asking that question about Lilith. We then move into asking how to heal the wound of misogyny. Then we move into uh, cultivating a relationship with Hecate or a deeper relationship if they already have one. And then the final question in this session is how to clear the shame cache. So, you know, like in your computer, you clear the cache, like the memory of it. So the shame shadow is really big because, again, we want to move into shamelessness, but we will have to approach what we feel shame about in order to move through it and try to clear some of it. Whose narrative is that? Where did that narrative come from? Do you prescribe to that narrative? You know, we're carrying around people's junk and judgment. And we're like, I don't even agree with that. So it is a very practical and magical process. Those tarot readings are channels. And I never know what's going to come through. And sometimes the to-dos are like so boring and pedantic that people are like, this cannot be magical. And then they get into the work and it's like, okay, that was, there's some magic happening there. It's funny when you said to-do list, it actually, like, because normally I don't, uh, yeah, exactly. I'd be like, uh, somehow like that felt like a wonderful thing. And I was like, ooh, good, to-do list. Uh, there, I really appreciate the practical magic part because I think, you know, going through this journey myself, uh, sometimes it's hard, you know, I, I can really go into the deep, mystical, magical stuff, but then it's like, oh, how does that, you know, apply? How do I put that into my life to create the shift embodied and lived versus, you know, understood. And so, yeah, I love that. And um, I really appreciate your reclaiming of the word shameless. I think there's a lot of that, of where we have to reclaim things in the feminine. I read this book years ago, The Power of Your Other Hand, by like Lucia Capaccione. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it. She's an Italian woman, Lucia Capaccione. Anyway, talking about how there was a period of time when I was young, they made everybody be right-handed and connected to the left side of the brain. The left side of our brain, the masculine side of our brain controls our right hand. And then the left hand, you know, there's these expressions, the left-handed path or, you know, uh, left-footed or just left is, is, which is the feminine usually means something bad. And so there's just all these little ways that we don't even really pay attention to that are right there under the surface of uh, how things have been twisted or distorted. And so, I'm going to reclaim shameless. Of course, that makes so much sense. But yes, that word has always been something bad to be shameless. And so, yes, thank you for that. It's such a powerful word. And I love it, too, because I get all excited because I'm like, left hand is the path of the dark goddesses. You know, mm -hmm. like, this is it. So it's like reclaiming these demonized things at these very day-to-day -day practical levels. It is magic. Like, this is how we transform things. This is how we shift things. And I will just say that anytime I create something, you know, or that it's channeled through me, I, my Taurus son is like, if it don't hit the concrete, there is no point in doing this work. So, like, the to-do list really speak to, like, how do we make this real? Because we can philosophize. We can theorize. We can understand. And I think this is actually one of the wounds of our culture big time. We're so cerebral, we're so smart, you know, and it's because, and we think that if we know it in our brain or we can talk about it, then that's it. That's the thing. And it's like, 
Oh, no, no, that doesn't change anything. Like you can know everything, but if you don't take action and implement with it, it literally amounts to nothing. So it's just a bunch of wasted time. So I want those who come to do this work with me. And it's not for everybody. It is not because it can be scary. It's also really loving and supportive and nourishing. Um, But it's here to actualize shift and change. And when you engage with the dark goddesses and with yourself and on that full spectrum, you go and find out where you're lying to yourself, what no longer works. And that may be things that are like, oh, my career, my partner, how I identify as a gender or sexually, like things are going to shift. Yeah, I imagine that when you have these groups that sometimes there's people that partly through get kind of scared and run away from it? Uh, I mean, yes, and not as much as you think. I think mm-hmm. sometimes people will go quiet. I personally, there's a, you know, we have to do phone calls. It's not who can run their credit card first. I have to make sure it's a fit and that each of the mentees are fit for each other. I'm pretty good at that, honestly. Yes, people will be like, oh, something's happening. They'll just go quiet. But we don't tend to have a lot that opt out. I try to really hedge that in fact of like dissuading people from it, you know, so that we don't get into that. It's less often than you think. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. It it sounds like really important work, honestly, to me, because uh, it's something our, you know, not just our society, but everyone in the world needs, you know, we need this kind of like, like a group effort to make ourselves better, you know, because it doesn't always happen alone. Just having this conversation today, you know, I'm I'm having epiphanies for my own self because I'm like, wow, I am able to see like, yes, there's all these feminine aspects of myself and knowing that and understanding it and embracing it because like you're saying, the dark feminine aspects, those are like the fun things, honestly. Like some of them are like the fun parts of ourselves right that's like you're saying magic like that it is a feminine kind of thing like magic if you think about what magic is, like that's a very feminine quality and these kind of things like being passionate you know be really feeling things and those kind of things are actually enjoyable and they're one of the great things about being alive you know so denying these parts of ourselves is really doing yourself a disservice I love the idea of making it, a, and that's such a feminine thing too, is like making it a group effort, right? Because totally, I think men need something like that. You know, men could really benefit from being in groups and just letting go and embracing all the parts of ourselves. Because at the end of the day, you know, and I've said this before, I say this a lot, but we're all androgynous at our core. You know, we're both, we're everything. And, you know, when you really believe that and you know it it's there's nothing to be ashamed of you know you you can be a man and be a woman and that's okay these are cultural ideas anyway yeah just really great i think you're doing a really good thing for everybody thank you so much i just it's really beautiful and i love to hear that reflection and i'm grateful for it i receive that and it is interesting because i've been thinking of like holding a container in a space that would be specifically directed towards men in that space, right? Because I do think it's very difficult 
men or women, human, to do this work alone. It's a lot of layers at this point for us as a human. And to have a guide or directive to even make a dent in it is really powerful. And I prescribe to the same as you. I think we're all everything. We're the spectrum, right? Like, I think we're literally all non-binary if we were honest. We have ways that we're comfortable and that we present. We're like, oh, this is my lane right now. But that could change in any moment for any of us. And we should all allow ourselves that option to change, right? Most healers, the question that we ask, I hope, is are you willing to heal? And the question is really, are you willing to change? Because in order to heal, you're going to have to change something, how we think, how we navigate. And the two pieces that I would just leave with is that there's no right way to be a witch, right? There's no right way to navigate this. The dark goddesses, your personal healing, it's the way that resonates, that feels safe. And sometimes it's a way that's just presenting itself. This is falling in your path for a reason, right? And that language really matters. Every word we speak is a spell, Right. And so to start to work with language that is more shameless, you know, is really helpful and allowing there to be space to be wrong or to mess something up, you know, because that's where we start to go, oh, well, do I really care? What did I learn from that? How can I move forward from that? So thank you. Absolutely. Where can our listeners find you if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about you? Yep. Easiest place is unicornwellnessstudio.com. That's my website. It has all the offerings there. So you'll see magical mentoring. You'll see group mentoring. You'll see my online wellness studio. Everything is there. But the other easiest place is Instagram. If you DM me, I'm going to answer. And it's at Tandy underscore Gutierrez. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for taking the time to come on here and talk with us. And yeah, we really appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Illusion. I'd like to say thank you very much to Tandy for taking the time to talk with us and for sharing her gifts and knowledge with us. If you'd like to find out more about Tandy and her services, you can go to unicornwellnessstudio.com. Thanks to everyone that made this podcast possible. Produced and hosted by Tim Howe and Tiana Roser. Music by Casey Henson. For more information about us or to access past episodes, please visit beyondtheillusionpodcast.com. We also have Beyond the Illusion merch on our website now, so if you're interested, check it out. Also, please remember to subscribe and leave a rating for us wherever you listen. This will help other people find us. Take care.